Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to the Women's Day Podcast, a look back at some of the highlights from the past five days. This week, we heard about why new mothers should be eating their placenta, found out about getting back into netball and talked about whether or not it's okay to go to the loo in front of your partner. We also heard the experience of a young woman's battle with depression and how she's reaching out to others with her own YouTube channel. But first, April is Autism Awareness Month and this week we heard two mothers talk about their young sons, both who have autism, and they described what it's like living with the condition and what they believe the Isle of Man needs in terms of care provision. But first, we were joined on Monday by Rosemary Derbyshire and her son William, who was diagnosed with autism 25 years ago. We probably realised, first of all, when he was about two and a half um, a health visitor picked up the fact that he wasn't developing the, the skills that he should have been at that stage. Um, he was also very frustrated a lot of the time. But because my older child was a girl, um, I had been thinking that maybe this is what little boys were like, having only had a little girl before. Um, but we went to see the paediatrician and so on and so forth. And it was when William was almost five that he was diagnosed at Alder Hay as having autism. And how much did you know about autism before that? At that time, I knew very little indeed. In fact, I I don't think many people on the island knew a lot about it. In fact, I was told by um, a professional person that there was no autism on the island, uh, which was rather a strange statement to make. Um, So, no, we didn't know very much about it then at all, but we quickly tried to learn as much as possible so that we could help William as much as we could. But in many ways, it was a relief to know what the problem was, um, as we could then go about trying to make life as fulfilling as possible for him and to give him all the help that we could I mean, that's a a really long time between those initial difficulties being flagged up by the health visitor and getting an actual diagnosis. You talked about how frustrated William was at that point. I can't imagine what it was like for you as his mother. It was very difficult indeed. Um, And I have four children. William is the second of four. The other three are girls. And there are only six and a half years between them. So I was quite a busy mum anyway. But we did have help from the preschool assessment centre and then when William was old enough to start school he was lucky enough to be able to go to the special unit in Arbury um, where his sister Laura was already at school Um, and he was in the very capable hands of Jackie Farger and Carol Murray there and he came on really well so it was excellent. Um, William thank you so much for being with us this afternoon as well. That's okay. What was growing up like for you? I mean, did you did you enjoy school? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think I was just I just felt like um, I was just like any normal pupil at the school. I got on really well with both teachers and well staff and um, and the rest of the pupils there. Um, it's um, I, well, I, I'd, I'd been too young to understand what. It, what was going on in, in regards to being in the special unit but um, um, okay there were times when I wondered why I was there um, but um, I um, um, it was only when 
I went to see a school psychiatrist at high school and I saw mum scribbling on a piece of paper saying I had Asperger's. I, I was, I was, I didn't know, really know what to say. Um, on a day-to-day basis, how does having Asperger's affect you? Um, well, I like the fact that um, it, has its positive aspects um like um i've got a tremendous memory and i've got great knowledge about certain subjects but um i feel in a way um i don't know what the word is but um i don't really talk about my autism as a general rule to anyone because people have their own perspectives on the condition like they they might either think oh wow we're we're or intelligent people with, or they just take, um, just poke, poke fun at, uh, at these people with the condition. Rosemary, I have spoken um, to mothers of young children with autism and they talk about some of the concerns that they have for their child. They worry about them being lonely, they worry about what they're going to do for a job. How do you relate to that with your experience and your worries when William was growing up? Yes, I can understand those worries very well indeed. Um, William, as I said before, has excelled in, in many areas, but when he was little I did worry about what sort of um, life he was going to have and I didn't imagine for one minute that he would be able to do the things he has done such as um, going to the Isle of Man College independently on a bus every day equipped with a mobile phone so that if disaster did strike at least he could get in touch um, and then from that he has gone on to have paid work and now to live independently in a flat in Douglas. And if anybody had told me when he was even 10 that he would be able to do these things, I really would not have been able to believe it. So take courage from this because it is surprising what they can do. Um, And I think that people, a lot of people respond very generously to autistic people. And so, you know, it's worth a try, it's worth doing things, it's worth um, taking a leap of faith, really. William, just listening to your mum, who is understandably incredibly proud of you and what you're achieving, how does it feel to have done what you've done so far, to live independently, to have got work? Oh, it feels uh, fantastic, Um, yeah. um, I mean, um... I did have to um, learn all these skills from from living in a cottage at Nunnery Howe in Port Sodrick for about a year or so. Um, but the fact that I'm able to um, go out, well, live on on my own in a flat, I mean, it does get lonely at times, but then I suppose that was inevitable. But... Um, and um, to just um, live like a normal sing- uh, bachelor in a flat, like a single man in a flat, um, to um, and just um, since I live in Douglas, just go out and just enjoy myself is um, is is 
great. It's brilliant. William, what sort of things do you think you find difficult because you have autism? Um, well, it's trying to accept it at times. Um, and um, it can get me down. Um, it, um, I, One of the things that I can't do is um, I find it difficult to um, accept... Um, disappointments I was was like I was I'm not like that as much now than when I was younger um like uh, for instance if somebody said we can't go to such and such a place because of this that and the other um and uh, I would I would get upset about it practically all night um well well for a long time anyway um and um the fact that um well i the fact that i have um i've been told i can't learn how to drive I, i've always wanted to drive when i was a kid like have my own car um but um i hope sometime in the future i'm be able to one way or the other. We are joined live in the studio by the Isle of Man's Netball Development Officer this afternoon, Rachel Andrew. We were hearing a little bit about what it is you do yes. and you know the, the numbers of people who are actually playing netball on the island are really quite surprising. Yes they are. Um, we've got 580 people who are affiliated to England Netball which means they can actually play in the leagues um, and then if we probably top of my agenda at the moment because we've just gone through the season where they, we've done the primary school festivals, Manx Youth Games and all the school ones. We had about 600 primary school children playing for the festival. Another 90 some of whom may be the same Manx Youth Games um, and then year 7 to 10 tournaments there were about 240 girls and for the senior tournaments which is year 11 to 13 there are about 100 a week playing them so very very quickly it starts to add up. Um, so it's not just the leagues People need to be aware that we also have I've actually missed back to netball, netball now, and walking netball out of there. So that's it's not far off being about one and a half thousand people of all ages who are actually playing netball. And it's so fantastic. What is it about netball then? Why should we be playing it? It's really good for you. It, it's um, it's good for your fitness, but actually, it's a really it's a nice social game. You go down, you play in a team. It's social on the court. Um, Everyone trains pretty much. If you if you're playing um, with a club, you'll be training once a week and then playing a match once a week. Um, but it's a re it's a it's called a non no contact sport. It isn't. It can be quite aggressive, but that's part of the fun. It's actually it's challenging. Um, you need to be agile. It, 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 it's just great. It's just really really enjoyable. And what sort of age groups are you looking to develop the sport for? Um, we, I, I, I would like to see a growth in the, um, we, we have junior leagues, we've got an under 14 league which has two teams, um, two divisions in it and an under 16 league, we've only got five in there at the moment. We possibly, part of that problem is we let them play in the senior league, once you're 14 you can play in the senior league. I'd like to see more girls in that age group continuing to play so we don't get the dropout which you sometimes see in the ladies sports. Um, so I'd look, like to go there, but also to get more people playing walking netball. So getting them recognised. So that we, we did a taster session in November. We're all ready to go ahead. And then unfortunately, with this flood damage to the NSC, we've had to change venues and go to Tommy Klukas. 
um, which isn't ideal, but they've been absolutely fantastic there with us. So we're continuing there on a Tuesday morning, starting from next week at half past ten, if anyone would like to join us. Um, we're going to carry on doing it just so that we keep the momentum going and then hopefully once the NSC is back up and running, we can get a few more people down. Okay, Rachel, just imagine you had somebody who played netball at school. Just imagine maybe they weren't very good. Yeah. I mean, I'm not talking about me, just before anybody <laughs> says it. But that would be enough to put a lot of people off, yes. I imagine. Yeah, I think they need to get themselves down to one of our back to netball sessions because I'm sure that if they or, or talk to someone if, if someone feels like that and would like to get involved the best thing they can do is maybe give me a call or drop me an email because I could put them into contact with someone who maybe felt like that we had um, there's a late I hope she won't mind me mentioning her Kirsty um, she started off doing back to netball hadn't played for a long time um, and since then the people who she joined with have actually set up a team and are now playing in the league every Sunday morning. And Kirsty's gone on and she's now a policewoman. And she said part of that is actually it's the netball and it's encouraged her to get fitter. Um, so by taking that first step to go to back to netball, she's now doing a she's in employment that she absolutely career sorry a vocation whatever she absolutely loves. Um, she's fitter, but she's still playing netball. So it started off with anxiety attacks and at first I got diagnosed with generalised anxiety disorder, depression and OCD tendencies. So it doesn't mean I have OCD, it just means I have a tendency to engage in OCD-like behaviours. Mm -hmm. But I always felt like depression was not accurate. It wasn't only depression that I was going through because there'd be times where I'd be absolutely crazy and happy and on a high and like out there. And then there'll be crushing lows where, you know, it, it's the lowest anyone can ever feel. It's a very horrible feeling, an emptiness. It's it's not a nice place to be in. Yeah. So at first I was kind of, you know, maybe I have bipolar because that's the only other condition I really knew of. Then a doctor's like, no, you don't have that. I sought help at accident emergency one night because I just felt it was the first time I'd ever felt suicidal. I didn't feel like I was going to do anything, but I, it was the first time I had a thought pop into my head and I was like, okay, that's worrying. Mm -hmm. That's that's a big thing. I need help. And I needed it then. And we were lucky that the psychiatrist on call, he was actually a um, specialist from London in borderline personality disorder. Wow. And that's what I've been diagnosed with. And I'll just explain a bit just for people who don't know what it is. It has a mixture of symptoms. I like to think of it as um, they want to rename it to emotionally unstable personality disorder. It's where you can't control your emotions. Mm -hmm. So with depression, a lot of people have a trigger and then they'll experience the emotions afterwards. Whereas for me, I just get the emotions like right away. So there's nothing that starts it off just literally one minute you can be on a massive high and the next mm -hmm. minute down. Uh, yeah sometimes obviously things trigger me you know like they would anyone you know like if you had a bad day or you know hurt yourself or anything like that it's where your emotions go up and down multiple times throughout the day and to extremes throughout the day so it's not mm -hmm. just this isn't over the course of a few weeks or something mm -mm, this is no. and this this happens to you every day does it mm -hmm. yeah it's um it's difficult because you never really know what you're walking in on if, you, if yeah. you're coming to see me. I've um, learned to deal with it and embrace it. It's it's a part of who I am. A lot of people separate themselves from the illness and that is a good thing 
to do when you're thinking about it in relation to the difficulties it has. But I do also like to embrace it in that I would not know nearly as much about mental health if it never happened to me. Mm-hmm. So do you feel, you feel more like if you meet other people who are experiencing something that mm-hmm. you, obviously you're more than able to understand and empathise? Yeah. And, yeah. and I think as well, because um, with the borderline personality disorder, it encompasses a lot of aspects of different mental illnesses. So it's not just depression, you know. You have depressive episodes, you have anxious episodes. You, so your emotions are flying everywhere. <laughs> And I noticed one of your um, uh, videos that you did recently was about changing doses of medication. So mm-hmm. is, it, is it medically treatable then? You treat it the same way as depression and anxiety. So you treat, treat it with antidepressants and beta blockers, which help you just help physical symptoms of like anxiety attacks. So if you do have one, it'll slow your heart rate down. It won't stop um, your thoughts or your feelings, but it'll stop shaky hands, uh, shaky voice deep breathing and things like that it's not treatable in that it'll ever go away Mm. it's not like a headache you take ibuprofen it's gone but it's manageable it takes the edge off so you you don't have to work as hard to keep calm and (laughs) normal and it stops you from doing really stupid things (laughs) (laughs) so with with taking the antidepressants thing years ago one of my friends um was recommended to take them and i know we talked briefly earlier about you know you shouldn't be afraid of them Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't a headache tablet like you say but one of the things that she was concerned about was that it would numb things so that she Mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily experience the highs and lows the way she wanted to Uh, is that sort of how it makes you feel then sometimes it does I I can't speak on behalf of everybody because everybody experiences them differently when they take them there's common themes and common side effects that you have but for me it just takes the highs and lows and squashes them down so they're not so extreme yeah so I still experience like happiness and sadness, but it's more like I used to before these problems happened. These problems, they did just pretty much kick off when you went to university. Yeah, it, it was sort of like the, the trigger, the thing that made them all come to a head. It might have just gone unnoticed, mm. but a lot of the times there is an incident in your life that brings it to a head and makes these problems become what well, a problem <laughs> it makes yeah. these things like what they are women today brought to you by citywing.com for your next flight away we do like to talk about difficult subjects on this program and i think our next topic is going to undoubtedly be trickier for some than others um it involves toilets and once again it uh, has come about after a conversation with our very own um, very own howard kane um is there anything wrong with going to the loo in front of your partner? Let us know what you think on this one. Wonderful six, wonderful seven. You can e- email studio at mikesradio.com, go to Facebook or Twitter. I think it is one of those things that you either, yeah, you do or you don't. Um, Howard, where do you stand on this? <laughs> if you excuse the little joke there. Was there a pun in there somewhere? There was. I noticed, there was. I, I, noticed I get blamed for this. Yeah. <laughs> well, can I just say, the last time we talked about um, something toilet-related was about the toilet seat. That was because we'd had a conversation with you about it. And you mm. brought this up um, in the corridor when Chris and I were just literally walking past innocently yesterday. So, you know, the, the theme is you. Innocently, OK. Um, <laughs> no, uh, well, I, I always think it's one of these ones where I've always been very clear about it. I can never understand when you chat to people, you chat to friends, you know, it comes up in conversation sometimes. And this weird, I think it's very strange when people say they've been in a relationship, they've been married for 20 years, in a relationship for 30, whatever the case may be, and they have never 
been able to be in the same room where their partner's going to the loo. Um, and I just find it so strange. You think, how could you be in an intimate relationship and, and yet be so uneasy and embarrassed about it, the fact that your partner's doing something totally natural, which everyone does every day, that you can't even bear to be in the presence? I'm not suggesting before anyone starts tweeting that it's a spectator sport, necessarily. <laughs> but, but it's the idea that you couldn't, you couldn't possibly do it because you'd just be too uneasy and too embarrassed. So you're talking about both things that you would do on the toilet? One and two. Okay. At what point then is it okay? Because, I mean, it's not something, you know, after a couple of dates, I suggest, that you'd be quite comfortable doing. No, I don't suppose it would be. I I expect an awful lot of it is how you're brought up. And again, I'm speaking from the position of not having had children, and obviously you do. And we were always, we were also, it was very open in our family, and that sort of, it was a case of, you know, dad wouldn't worry about it. People didn't tend to sort of close doors in the loo. There was like a separate loo to the bathroom, which is not that often the case these days. The loo and the, and the bathroom are all, all in one room quite often. Uh, and the loo would sort of just be, the, the door would be left open. It was just seen as a natural thing and no one really sort of worried about it that much particularly. And so, yeah, and my parents, I think, was, were quite sort of relaxed about it. Dad always said, it's perfectly natural. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's just sort of, you know, again, I'm not suggesting you go out and do it in the street or in front of your friends, but, but it's it's something you don't need to be embarrassed about. It's, it's perfect normal and you know wash your hands all the other hygiene things would all be tacked onto this but it was just seen as a as indeed it is a natural everyday process that we all do yes all right i know it's it's something that it's it's not the most dignified thing which is probably and you know kind of a a scent associated with it which is not necessarily the best so we do tend to do it in private generally but the idea that it's so private that you couldn't even have someone with whom you are very intimate close by is just weird i think okay christy I, I totally understand what you're saying. I totally do because there is you do you know as you said you're intimate with someone you know they they see all of you you get very close to them you know and then yeah I, I see what you're saying you don't then it, it seems odd that you then wouldn't just you know sort of drop trousers in the toilet in front of them <laughs> but at the same time yeah. it's to do with bodily functions yeah. we do have a thing and it's it's not just Brits this is it it's you know there is something about bodily functions in front of other people whether it's your partner or you know your friends or whatever I think if you're in certain situations like for instance music festivals perfect example if you are very very desperate at a music festival and you can't get into a toilet I have seen people who I know would never normally do this uh, be in a group and they'd hold coats up for each other and just go to the toilet in a sort of quiet spot somewhere and that's desperation Hmm. but yeah there is something about bodily functions in front of other people that I think we all struggle with and I think that you're right you're right it is one of the last taboos and that's what I'm suggesting to a degree that perhaps it's time that that this was dropped really and that there's no reason for it to be it's a tableau (laughs) oh Oh, sorry sorry but there's a difference again isn't there i think between between real necessity as you're talking about there and again i've had a a a similar i think or at least certainly in the west end in london i don't know they do it in other cities now on fridays and saturdays they often put in these huge sort of portaloos have you seen these four guys mostly to stop people going in doorways and Mm -hmm. such like great idea but they just sort of dump them down the plastic urinals basically they've just put on the pavements and yeah they encourage you're just encouraged there people are out and about drinking too much you go there now we tried them out if you're not actually really drunk it's very difficult to go to the loo when other people are watching (laughs) i'm afraid rachel's lost it at this point um do you know i I don't know whether i want to share this story but i've I've started now now. um but you know i didn't used to be able to go for a wee in a public toilet if i thought anyone could hear me and when i was once in york and i had to go around to nine 
nine different public toilets oh. until I found one. And, it, you know, that was that was a bit of a restriction on my life, I suppose. Yeah, I um, but then, you know, like you were talking, um, Christy, about when you're desperate and you absolutely need to go and you go to the nightclubs, the toilets are always disgusting in there usually mm-hmm. anyway, but the queue is massive. And I ended up um, with a couple of my friends and we ended up in the same cubicle together. And... Um, I couldn't go. So it looked like I'd just gone in there to watch them. It's just oh, a little bit well, weird. Yeah, I've, I've had a, a similar experience uh, there the other way around. Uh, one TT many moons ago when we were watching out in a, a rural spot like Laurel Bank or somewhere where we had to walk back. No public loos, nowhere to go. On the way back to the car, I was thinking, gosh, I could, could do with going to the loo. My brother suggested, why don't you just go into the field You know, before we get back to the car? It'll be fine around the hedge there, which I thought, great, good idea. I'll see you in a minute not realising he'd set me up somewhat because he'd seen, I think, a German couple that the lady disappear around the gate, presumably for the same reason. So I cheerfully marched around the corner through the gate into the field. Indeed, there she was, squatted in, oh, in, in the middle of having lady. a week. But, so she, but she, being German or Swedish, or she, she was either German or Swedish, one of the two, judging by her voice, she was totally relaxed. And even though she, was, she just said, oh, hello. <laughs> so so I, you know, I just said, hello. That does and, raise... and then tried to sort of move what I thought was a respectable, as if I was quite relaxed about this. And because I was then embarrassed and then sort of stood what I thought was a, a respectful distance away and then tried to carry out my own actions and then couldn't. So I had the same problem then. It looked like I'd just come in there to just not do anything and watch, which is even worse. Um, jo, I think, might be back from her toilet break now. Um, where are you on this one, Jo? <coughs> well, I mean, to talk about toilets for this long, it is making me laugh. Just listening to the conversation. Never did I ever. But... Um, yeah, I, going back to would you in front of your partner, I think we're talking ones and twos. Ones is a definite, two is a not definite. And it's got nothing to do with bodily parts, uh, Christy. It's more to do with the smell perfectly well. That's that's <laughs> basically what it is. Um, well, we've had some uh, thoughts on Facebook on this one. Which some of them do agree with you, Joe, as well. Uh, so Jenny says, nope, only time I did was when I was in labour. I feel like we all need our two minutes of peace. Lisa says, as you said, Joe, yes, but only for a wee. Stu, our very own Stu, says, no, some things don't need to be shared. Uh, and Helen says, no, shut the door and bolt on. Discretion, please. I'm a lady. As April is Autism Awareness Month, we've been talking about the condition this afternoon with our studio guests, Louise Jacob Armstrong, whose seven-year-old son, Samuel, is autistic, and Jan Rice, who has twin eight-year-old boys one who is autistic and one who isn't and I mentioned at the start of the show that we had William Derbyshire with us on Monday now he was diagnosed uh, around 25 years ago and really is proof that it's not a condition that necessarily holds you back depending on its severity on the Facebook page after Monday's show there were some comments made about the provision of care for people with autism on the Isle of Man with some suggestions that we are lagging behind with services well we got in touch with the Department of Education and we received this statement from Sue Mole, who is the Director of Inclusion and Safeguarding. Children and young people with more complex autistic spectrum conditions and learning difficulties are catered for in SEN units attached to a number of primary schools, all secondary schools and the Isle of Man College. Here they are engaged in highly specialised programmes to meet their learning needs. For those pupils affected by autism who are educated within mainstream classrooms, we offer regular training for teachers on meeting the needs of pupils and how to provide an autistic-friendly learning experience. Teachers are encouraged to opt in to this training. Alongside that, our educational psychologists and education support service offer therapeutic advice to schools. We also have a specialist teacher, jointly funded by Autism in Man, who visits pupils and their teachers in school offering bespoke training support. In addition to this, we are always looking at ways in order to further build capacity. 
That is a statement from the Islands Director of Inclusion and Safeguarding at the Department of Education, read by Al Bell. Uh, Louise and Jan, listening to that, um, what do you make of what we heard? Well, um, from a personal point of view, um, occupational therapy simply wasn't available for Samuel and he needed it. So we've been taking him to Belfast to see a sensory therapist for two years and it's made a a really big difference. And I was uh, sent a letter and where I was told that in the schools it's basically the unit teacher's responsibility to help with occupational therapy and speech therapy and certainly I can speak for the girls at um, Mrs T's unit in Peel Cloth Workers they do an amazing job they've got a really difficult job they work really hard and I don't think it's fair to put that responsibility on them they're teachers they're not therapists. Jan what do you think of the provision that we have here currently? Um, From a personal point of view I think we're very lacking in staff I think that's the problem we've asked for help with occupational therapy for Jamie at school and Mrs Tier, who's the unit manager there, has contacted the occupational therapist team. And it's not just them, I mean, it's physiotherapists, speech therapists, it's across the whole board. There's just not enough staff um, to send people out and to even keep them coming on a regular basis. So that's why they they kind of teach the teaching assistants and the unit managers um, to do the occupational therapist and the physio and the speech therapy even, um, because there's not enough not professional because obviously the teachers are professional but you know there's not enough qualified speech therapists or occupational therapists to actually keep coming back to school so they do rely on the teachers and the teachers have to do that on top of Mm. the general teaching already very difficult job yeah but I think it all does come down to staffing staffing levels and I'm guessing um now your boys are, are, are in the education system that's one thing but what happens when they leave what does the future hold for Samuel Louise well, um, we love the Alaman Man very much and we don't want to leave, but we have started looking off the island because I do think we're about 10 to 15 years behind. There's no um, Equality Act in the Isle of Man. So um, a mother has actually told me, a mother whose autistic son is 16, has told me that she was told by someone in children's services that the Alaman government is not obliged to provide the same opportunities for disabled children as um, neurotypical children because there's no equality act on the Isle of Man. Well, I would argue that they are morally obliged to provide the same you know, opportunities for disabled children. So it's something I worry about a great deal, what's going to be available to Samuel on the island. Do you know, something that really struck me when we had a conversation a few weeks ago, Louise, was that you said you worried um, about Samuel being lonely, your husband worried about what he was going to do as a, as a future job. I mean, that really, for, for us, really encapsulated what mm. autism is for your family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, you know, I, um, I don't work. Um, in the early days, the school would call me a lot and I'd go in, but that's not the case now. But I can spend all day just researching um, Liverpool hopes to be the first autism friendly city, they're doing great things and apparently Scotland appears to be the best place in the UK for autism services so um, yeah so there's there's lots out there, it's just not on the island unfortunately and I think they need to be more upfront with parents of newly diagnosed autistic children because it's imperative to get them the therapy as young as possible that will make them able to deal with school better then they're going to be able to get educated and then they're not going to be on benefits when they leave school. So I think they should be upfront. If we don't have that on the island, I think they should say so and offer advice on where you can go off the island to get it. Not just say, yes, 
there's just a bit of a waiting list and you never get it. I think there needs to be more clear understanding of what is and what isn't available. Jan, I'm guessing um, for anybody in this position, talking to other people who truly understand what you're going through must make a huge difference. Where do parents um, of children who've recently been diagnosed with autism, where can they go for that? Well, there is um, Parents of Autism Facebook page. And I do agree. I think you, you do feel quite isolated as a parent when you get your diagnosis. You've done a great deal of work, I know, with um, doing things on Facebook. I mean, you've talked about the research you've done, Louise, and you really, you're so keen on reaching out to other people who find themselves yeah. in this position. Absolutely. There's Action for Autism on the island, and we've actually got a contact list of uh, lots of local people that can help. So um, if you want that contact list, we can either email it to you. So if you private message either myself or Jan, or if you go onto the Action for Autism Facebook page, it's there, it's attached. Thank you so much for downloading the Women Today podcast. Do join us live if you can, just after two o'clock every weekday on Manx Radio. You can also keep up to date with whatever we're doing on the Women Today Facebook page. And uh, if you have any ideas of something you'd like to hear on the show, we'd love you to get in touch with us. Women Today at manxradio.com. Until next time, goodbye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.